Welcome to the How Do I Get That Job podcast. This is episode number three. My name is Tyler Cudabeck of Let's Go to College Educational Consultants. I am here with J.D. Arden. Uh, J.D., would you mind telling people a little bit about yourself, where you're located in the world, what you do, and you know, just anything special that you have going on? Sure. I work at the Center for Jewish History in New York City. I'm a reference and genealogy librarian there. I've been there about six years, and every day is a different workday for me. I help people find information, find books, research their family history, and figure out puzzles that they can use maps and books and archive collections to solve. Puzzles, that's really cool. Uh, what do you mean by puzzles? Is it just the maps themselves, or like... How would you propose a puzzle to somebody? Uh, We get a lot of long-lost, missing relatives. How does someone find some relative that they didn't think survived the war and they did survive, but how do you go about finding someone today? Sometimes we get people in who want to delve into the mystery of what life was like a couple hundred years ago and how they can get into that world in the library is what we help them figure out. Very cool. A part of this whole podcast is how do I get that job? How do you become a genealogy and research librarian? Um, You know, you can talk about broad strokes, how anybody could do it, but I'd love to hear your particular story. Sure. In my case, I graduated college and I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do and I was working a few different jobs and I was really into the two TV shows, Who Do You Think You Are? and Finding Your Roots. So I'd watch those TV shows and I liked the storyline and how the celebrity would find clues in their family history and go to some different archive to put together pieces of the puzzle. And I thought that people who did that were called archivists. So I applied to a library grad school and I started off thinking that I was going to be an archivist until I got into more classes and realized that the archivist is the person who takes all the old papers and figures out what they are and makes a nice index. But the reference librarian is the guy who welcomes people into the library and listens to their story and suggests places where they can go and look, which is exactly what I felt I wanted to do. You said that what you felt you wanted to do. Is it still what you want to do? Yeah, definitely. What I felt at the time, (laughs) what what was appealing to me. Um, I took a, a little online class of basic genealogy that kind of helped me get a head start on knowing what resources are out there, what people can use to do family research or historical research. So you have a master's in library science, right? That's right. So what was your bachelor's in? My bachelor's was in a program called European Arts and Cultural Studies program. So it was really a little bit of everything, literature, arts, music, all put together in this program that was kind of a survey major uh, across a lot of different disciplines. Very cool. Yeah. Interdisciplinary majors are a huge thing right now, especially with just the way that 
every job market is going. You can't be just super specialized. Last time we spoke, you were talking about how some of your prior jobs actually were the reason why you got this job. Can you tell me a little bit about that with the customer service aspect? Oh, sure. I actually coming into this job was a little bit hesitant and thought that I wouldn't be qualified to work here in a museum library archive institution because up until then, a lot of my work experience was customer service, working in restaurants, uh, like working in museums, but as like the security guard or the front desk. But after I was hired, my boss told me directly that she is much happier hiring people who have an interest in library and archive work who have customer service experience even if they just have a little bit of library world experience, she would rather hire people like that instead of people who might have a lot of academic work experience, but very little customer service knowledge. Because every day we deal with people walking in off the street, we deal with phone calls, we deal with emails, and it's a lot more important to know how to talk to people and figure out how to make people feel at ease and get down to the question that they're really asking mm -hmm. that's more important than what i myself know because someone coming to the library to do their research it's more important that i know how to listen to them and ask good questions rather than talk myself well, so that brings up an interesting point. So, you know, say I walk into the library and I come up to your desk and I say, I'm trying to draw my family tree all the way back to Ireland when they came over uh, through Ellis Island. What would be some of the questions that you ask somebody like me before you get started? We encourage people, um, if they can come back more than once, to go find in their house, in their family's houses, any old documents, any old photographs that might have clues to talk to the oldest surviving people in the family, anyone who has those family stories, and then very methodically put all that information together, maybe sketch out a basic family tree that gives you a starting point of who you know and who you want to look for. And then we can give you, the researcher, the tools where to look and also the hints about how to be smart about how you look up hmm. historical information. What do you mean by be smart with how you look it up? What, what's an example of that? An example could be uh, being aware of, the, of, the, of what we suppose about life as we know it today and thinking that life was always like that. So... Hmm. If you spell your last name a certain way today and that's the official way it's spelled and that's on your driver's license, you might not look twice at any record of someone who spells their name kind of close to that, but not exactly the same. Those are the kind of hints we can encourage people to understand that a hundred years ago, people didn't really care. And a lot of records were written down by hand and people wrote however they heard it. Or maybe people had some reason to change their name and spell it a different way. So a lot of the ideas about life we have today get in your way of uh, doing an effective search. 
I can actually, the reason I'm smiling is because that's kind of the way that it works with my family's name. So Cudback, C-U-D-D-E-B-A-C-K, used to be spelled with a Q. It was like Q-U-E and then a bunch of other stuff. Wow. So, no, well, I, go ahead, go I ahead. Understand why they, I understand why they changed it because that's rough living in America with a name with lots of Qs. <laughs> Yeah, uh, my grandfather growing up actually had this duffel bag that he had specially made with the 23 different ways that our name has been spelt in the last, like, 150 years. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So those are ways that it's it's great for people to learn how to search smarter. And then even when they leave the library, they can apply those tools to other family history work or to other types of work and research that they might do that's cool that you know it you know it from your own family that's cool yeah my family especially on my dad's side of the family they've always been very into carving out their family tree and learning about their ancestry that's kind of when i saw you uh online i'm like this is something that'd be pretty cool <laughs> so this you know this podcast is designed for anybody but it is specifically targeted at high school students, their parents, college kids, people looking to change careers, things like that. Why were you drawn? And you said that, you know, you were watching shows and you really liked it, but moving from a European culture bachelor's degree, and first of all, where did you get that degree? I'm just curious to see. Can you tell me a little bit about your college? Yeah, Brandeis. Oh, okay, in the city. Yeah, in Massachusetts. Oh, there's a Brandeis High School in New York, but Brandeis University in Massachusetts. Okay. And is that where you got your master's as well? I got my master's at Pratt Institute here in New York. Okay. Can you just tell me a little bit about the differences between those two schools? You know, are they big? Are they small? Are they very similar? Is that why you were attracted to them? My undergrad school was the right place for what I was studying. A lot of people were doing interdisciplinary and I got exposed to a lot of different ideas and different students and people doing all kinds of different undergrad work. And the grad school for library science actually is a very small school. It's a small part of Pratt Institute, which was founded as a fine arts school with a small division that was the library school. Wow. Yeah. So how many people were in your, and I'm going to say graduating class. I know masters don't always work that way, but what, what, oh, what were your I classmates guess. like? The first time I saw everyone getting the degree at the same time was at graduation. Mm -hmm. um, because the class schedule was a lot of evening classes. So it was designed mostly for people who are already working who are working part-time. All of us on different days didn't necessarily get to know everyone in the program. So in that way, it was very different than my undergrad experience. But what was helpful at uh, grad school was that there was a lot of opportunity for internships and meeting people out in the field. A lot of the professors brought working library professionals into the class so that we could ask them questions and figure out where we felt we fit into library world and that's what helped me figure out that I wanted to go into reference very cool yeah I, those seminars you know even if they're not official or anything it's just a professor bringing in a buddy they, they can yeah. be so enlightening 
it's it's awesome that you kind of figured out what you'd be passionate about because of a guest speaker. Definitely. So what do you have yeah. coming up next? Are you pursuing a PhD? Are you kind of happy where you're at? You know, do you have any special programs coming up for the Center of Jewish History? Um, we're working a lot to do more outreach to youth groups, community groups, schools, teachers. As part of my professional development here, I took a class in the fall about instruction and how to make a good class and what are different types of students and how people learn. If I do ever go for the PhD, I think that's what I would follow up on. The education kind of side? Play. Yeah, and like the science of instruction. Very how cool. do you How do you present information in a way that fits with different type of learners? I think that's really interesting and I'm glad to have the opportunity to do that more and more here. That's really cool. What kind of classes do you have coming up for, for youth outreach? Do you have that planned out yet, or is it too early to say? We have a lot of different lectures on different topics. Sometimes it could be genealogy-related, like how to research your immigrants, your immigrants' ancestors' experience. Or, you know, like 80% of Jewish people in the U.S., had ancestors that came most recently from East Central Europe. What about the Jewish communities that came from other places? How do you look up those records? So maybe so this is... To, yeah. Sorry, I just... That kind of sparked something. Maybe because, you know, most American high schools are very Eurocentric with their history. Where yeah. else in the world would they be coming from? I mean, obviously, you know, the Middle East comes to mind. You know, you think of Israel and, and uh -huh. the homeland, but then you also think about, you know... Poland, uh, Austria, Hungary, uh, the whole, uh, there was a mass migration from the Ukraine back in the seventies. Yep. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, where else? Yeah. Well, besides, uh, your Jewish history that was recently in Europe, we try to be equal in giving space and representation to Jewish communities that came from North Africa, from Muslim and Arab countries. And a lot of that history, especially in the 20th century, in the late 40s and 50s, a lot of Jews were forced out of those countries, but never got the same historical attention and books and uh, <laughs> study that other parts of Jewish history got, like World War II and the Holocaust. We try to welcome and expand the awareness for people to do research. Jewish communities that were out there, even if they aren't as documented as the major ones. That's really interesting. Right now, I'm remembering a YouTube series I saw a long time ago about Solomon the Magnificent and how his number two in command was... A, a Jewish slave that he elevated time after time again. That's just the thing that kind of sparked in me when you were talking about coming from the Middle East. I, I want to go back to something that you said a little while ago about professional development and how you're taking yes. classes on instruction. Yep. In my industry, professional development is huge. I mean, you know, when you're working in college admissions, things change not only year to year, but sometimes semester to semester. What are some big changes that are happening in your line of work? 
Uh, well, for a while, the di digitization has been a big deal in library and archives. If the whole point of a library is to connect people to information, after a while, it doesn't really matter what format that's in. It doesn't have to be a book. It doesn't have to be a printed page, right? So mm -hmm. it's really cool now to think about how are other ways that we can connect people to the information we have so that they don't necessarily have to come in person to the library and check out a book. Interesting. Um, how, can, how can we make things into a digital format so that people can search for words that are on a page that's scanned into a database? Hmm. Um, more contemporary, a lot of interesting things are also happening with virtual reality. Really? So, yeah, like if you have some rare old museum objects or old books that you don't want the public to handle every day, how could you create a virtual reality exhibit or space to show those books or old objects in some sort of historical setting where people could go into a virtual world and not damage antiques and old books with their hands? So I just had national treasure flashing in my head <laughs> and them taking lemon juice and putting it back on the Declaration of Independence. Obviously, that's a fictionalization. Obviously, that's done for Hollywood's sake. But the acquisition of a, a document like that or an artifact like that, can you kind of just walk through the process of how you might get something from either, say, your facility or like the Museum of Natural History or something like that? Sure. We are called a special collections library because we have not just books, but old manuscripts and documents. So the way we work and the way a special collections library works is that people usually have to come in person and usually can't check out books like a public library. But we still want to act like a public library in letting people know that anybody is welcome. You don't have to have a special degree. You don't have to have a special job. You don't really have to tell us the reason why you want to see something. Hmm. You can come and here in our reading room safely, we bring down the old documents like the poem that Emma Lazarus wrote to be put on the base of the Statue of Liberty. We have that old book here. Wow. And anyone can come and sit and look through documents you know, in any way that's meaningful to them. So in the past, special collections libraries maybe had a reputation of being elite and only for writers or researchers or professors. But nowadays, we want to act like a public library and let people know that anyone can do research, anyone can write a book, anyone can have a good reason to look through the cultural heritage of the world that belongs to everybody. So why not invite people in? Right. That's, I think that's a fantastic way of looking at it. I mean, we're trying to, you know, you had the old saying that knowledge is power, but at the same time, knowledge is also culture. It's also, you know, a part of who you are, even if you don't know it yet. I, I want to follow that train of thought because I definitely want something heartfelt in here but i just can't figure out a way to do it so let's go back to digitization for a second you had talked about 
you know, digitizing things. Uh, and I remember when I was in college, I loved getting things on audio or not audiobooks on um, like eBooks. Cause I could just hit control F and then type in the word that I'm looking for and it popped right up. Is that something similar to what you're talking about? Yes. Okay. That's, that would be the optimum way if uh, you can scan something in and if it has nice typeface that the computer can read and uh, transfer into a code that makes it searchable by typing in the words. That doesn't work yet with old handwriting okay. or messy handwriting. Someday, hopefully, programmers are going to figure out a way to get computers to read old handwriting better and better. For the sake of time, though, uh, a lot of what we digitize, we don't have time to check that it's all scanned in with the nice printed word identifiable by the computer. Mm -hmm. So it's a balance of taking time to make some documents word searchable and some documents just have to go up as PDFs page by page to okay. look through. I mean, it makes sense. It's definitely something difficult to do to look at curvatures and everything and figure out, is that an S or a D or a G? Or, especially with you know script being as popular as it was before digitization. But for college freshmen right now or high school seniors, that's going to be trying to look at either getting into your line of work or going into a master's degree, you know, within the next five or 10 years, trying to do what you do. How would having like a minor or a double major in computer science, how would that make them look when it came to their resume and applying for a position? I th it seems like the way a lot of library schools are moving is to rebrand themselves either library and information science schools or just drop library out of it and call everything information science. Hmm. So a lot of work, you know, a lot of uh, Wikipedia and Internet Archive and Google, a lot of what they do behind the scenes is basically information organization like what someone would learn in library school but applied to the tech industry okay so there's definitely a big place for what now is called information organization coming from a library background applied to high-tech field wow well keep that in mind kids <laughs> right so i guess the the next natural question from there would be if you are having this degree in education or in, in computer science, as well as information science and library science, what else could you use those degrees for? Have you kind of made yourself so specialized at that point, or are you opening more doors than closing? I hope it, it opens more doors. A lot of the colleagues I went to library school with double majored in library science plus art history or plus a law degree so that they could be the information organizers in some field that they already knew they had an interest in. So it could be law, could be art. And those kind of all seem natural. You know, you think of art history, yeah. you think of, you know, research lawyers that are going back to the 1800s and looking at some court report and trying to use that as precedent later down the line. What's something that's a little more off the wall as a combo that you've seen? I saw a job application, a job, a job advertisement that I considered applying for for a, a second uh, to work for the NSA 
National Security really? Security Agency. They needed someone who knew a few languages, who knew a few alphabet systems, who could sort of use the tools we might use to do genealogy research to track down bad guys, probably. Wow. So, yeah, like, how would you research somebody's family and, like, background check them all and look for them in newspapers and documents? A lot of those skills could come from a library background. And I'm sure that they use people like that in uh, CIA, FBI, NSA. Very interesting. So really anything that includes big data, you know, like yep. large amounts of information, library science is really the group that organizes all that. Is that's that, right. That's, that's yeah. amazing. So it's not just working at a library. It's working anywhere. That's fantastic. It is 30 minutes into our conversation. I did say that I wanted to respect your time. You've been so gracious uh, this last week of uh, working with me. So I, I'm going to cut it here. But the last thing I do want to ask you, uh, and I ask this of everybody, what is some last minute wisdom that you'd like to pass on to the next generation? Whether it's something you wish somebody had told you when you were looking at school or just some helpful advice that you think anybody going into library or, you know, that kind of information science background should know? Something that was helpful to me that looking back on my academic career, I wish I had, I, or I'll say it this way. I encourage young people to think about what's interesting to them and try to find a way to study parts of what, parts of the coursework that are interesting to them instead of going after the things that seem cool and high-tech. So when I got into library school, it was exactly at this time when digitizing everything was really big and working with computer models and learning programming was really big. And I'm glad that I took time to study some of that. But a lot of what was more meaningful to me were the classes that I picked because they called to me in some way that I felt was interesting or how my personality related to people. So that's the advice I would, I would say for someone who, who might go into library school soon or information science school soon is learn what's happening in the world and what's current, yes, but don't go after flashy high-tech study unless that's exactly what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Think long-term. That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being with sure. us today. No problem. Have a great day. Bye.